Welcome to the sermon cast from King Road Church. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. If you'd like to pray with someone, speak with one of our pastors, or if you're looking for more resources, please go to kingroad.ca, scroll down on the homepage, and fill out the Reach Out fillable. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. We're going to be continuing in our series in Matthew, spending our time in Matthew chapter 4. And also, actually, a little bit of time in John chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, uh, grab them, turn to those two sections. That's where we'll be spending most of our time today. In his book, Radical, David Platt tells the story of a young man named Raiden, who was a seminary student in Indonesia. Um, the book Radical was, was popular, was new about, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, and a very popular book calling, calling people to radical discipleship, follow, radical following of Jesus Christ. And he shares this story about Raiden, the seminary student uh, in Indonesia, the largest Muslim country in the world. And he's going through seminary there, and part of the seminary program there is that at the end, before you get your degree, before you're officially graduated, you need to plant a church and have 30 new baptized converts in Indonesia, which is a big, it's a big task. But Raiden goes out for, for his task. He goes off into a village and is reaching out to people who don't know the name of Jesus yet, don't know who Jesus is. And this is, this is his, a little bit of his story. He says it this way. Uh, One day I was sharing the gospel in an unreached village and the witch doctor from the village came to the house and called me out. He wanted me to fight him. So Raiden's past, he uh, was very skilled in martial arts. And he had done that as, as a, before he went to seminary. He, was, he, he would fight um, uh, and he would train. And so when he hears this, he's like, okay, his first instinct, I'm going to go out this guy and sh- go out and show this guy who's boss. But he says, the Lord told me that I no longer needed to do the fighting, that God would do the fighting for me. So Raiden walked outside, pulled up a chair, and sat down in front of the witch doctor. He told his challenger, I don't do the fighting anymore. My God does the fighting for me. And then Raiden said what happened next. As the witch doctor attempted to speak, he began to gasp for air. He was choking and couldn't breathe. People came running to see what was wrong, and within a few minutes, the witch doctor had fallen over dead. By now, the entire village had crowded around the scene. And Raiden said, I had never seen anything like this in my life, and I didn't know what to do. But then I thought, I guess this is a good time to share the gospel. And so that's what he, that's what he did. And that day, many people in that village trusted in Christ for the first time. Another story uh, from the book Jesus Freaks, which was printed in 1999, says this, uh, the communist soldiers had discovered their illegal Bible study. 
As the pastor was reading from the Bible, men with guns suddenly broke into the home, terrorizing the believers who had gathered there to worship. The communists shouted insults and threatened to kill the Christians. The leading officer pointed his gun at the pastor's head. Hand me your Bible, he demanded. Reluctantly, the pastor handed over his Bible, his prized possession. And with a sneer on his face, the guard threw the word of God on the floor at his feet. He glared at the small congregation. We will let you go, he growled. But first, you must spit on this book, this book of lies. And if you refuse, you will be shot. The believers had no choice but to obey the officer's order. The, a soldier pointed his gun at one of them and said, You first. And the man slowly got up and knelt down by the Bible. He reluctantly spit on it, praying, Father, please forgive me. He stood up, and sure enough, the soldiers moved aside and he was allowed to leave. The soldier said, Next, you pointed to a woman, and she came forward and in tears could barely do what he commanded. She spat only a little, but it was enough, and she too was allowed to leave. Quietly, a young girl came forward. Overcome with love for Jesus, she knelt down and picked up the Bible. She wiped the spit off of the Bible with her dress. What have they done to your word? Please forgive them, she said. The communist soldier put his pistol to her head and pulled the trigger. The cost of following Jesus can be great. When you hear stories like this, uh, that, that, that has to be the result that you come to in your mind, that, that the call to follow Jesus is both costly and awesome. You hear the cost that this young girl paid. You hear the cost that Raiden was willing to pay, but he witnessed something awesome, something amazing. And I think that's what we're going to see as we look at the text today, that the, cost, or the call to follow Jesus is both costly and awesome. Two points for today's sermon. Disciples follow Jesus, and crowds follow miracles. Disciples follow Jesus, and crowds follow miracles. So the first point, disciples follow Jesus, starting in Matthew 4, verse 18. While walking by the sea... He saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father, and followed him. 
So when you come to a text like this, uh, a narrative text of the Bible, it's often, it is, it's always important actually to look at what the verbs are, what's happening. Because I think for us who have grown up in the church, we'll sometimes come to a text like this and we will have our preconceived notions, uh, kind of what we heard and what we learned in Sunday school maybe, or, or kind of our... our we have, a, we have an overall view of the scene in our head, and so we don't necessarily look at exactly what's happening. So it's important here to look at what's happening. Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, so Matthew sets the scene. This is where he is. And then the action starts. He saw two brothers. And in the Bible, when you see God take notice of somebody, that usually means something big is going to happen. You think about the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 2 when the Israelites are crying out to the Lord for help from their plight in Egypt. And at the end, or uh, I think it's verse 25, Exodus chapter 2, he says, or the, uh, Moses writes that, that the Lord saw them and he knew. And then the action takes place and Moses starts coming forth and gets called and all of the action of the book of Exodus takes place. So when the Lord takes notice, when you see this, something's going to happen. They're about to have an encounter with God. And in this passage, Jesus sees two pairs of brothers, all of them fishermen, working with their nets. And to the first pair, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So come, follow me. And don't worry about fish anymore. I'm going to help you, or I'm going to lead you to actually catch men for the kingdom. And then for the second pair, it says that he just called them. So we can infer that he called them to the same message. It's exactly what's happening here. He's calling them. Now, here's an interesting thing about this scene, though. Rabbis in those days, while they often had disciples following them and learning from them, rabbis didn't go out recruiting people. Rabbis didn't go out digging people out of their jobs and going, hey, leave Columbia cabinets and come follow me. That's, that's, they didn't do things like that. They stayed studying where they were and teaching where they were in their synagogue or the temple. Or, and people were supposed to come to them and say, can I follow you? So similar to how we would apply to go to a school. If you want to go to CBC or Trinity or some other Christian school where you want to learn about Jesus and you want to learn what it means to follow him as, as, as you work uh, in whatever vocation you're kind of going into, you would apply to that school. There's certain professors. You want to go talk to them and say, can I come to your school and learn from you? And that's, that's what it was like back then too. You would go and talk to a rabbi and say, can I come and learn from you? But Jesus is different. Instead, he's going out and calling people to follow him. And notice their response. They immediately drop what they're doing and follow him. If I was to come to you at your job and say, hey, follow me, you better not drop your stuff and follow me. Like, that's irresponsible. You got you to gotta be respectful to your boss and, and, and think about the family you're providing for and all those things. But, but Jesus calling people is different. Jesus comes to them, and, and the way he says it too, and they, his words here, Matthew uses very strong language that essentially is a demand. Peter, Andrew, James, John, follow me now. And they do it. They leave their jobs and their things behind, and they go to follow him. 
So when, call, when God calls you by name and he calls you to follow him, you respond and you do it. But it's costly. The call of God on our lives will lead some of us to lose our lives, as we heard about that young lady who did, or it might lead some of us to lose and to leave our jobs the way that we see these fishermen do to follow Jesus. But it will cost all of us, at a minimum, to repent from our sin, to set aside our pride to humble ourselves and say, Lord Jesus, I will do what you call me to do. And that comes to different people in different ways, that the call to come to Jesus at the beginning is the same for all of us. It's a call to repent and follow him and believe, put our faith in him, put our trust in him. And when we understand the gospel for the first time and when that call comes to us, it's beautiful and the the Lord's voice is sweet and we just go, yes, I'm following you, Jesus. And even for some people, though, who want to resist it, they, they know that call is sweet and they like it, but they're, but they're clinging for a while. But the Lord keeps calling and keeps pursuing, and then they eventually come. When the Lord calls you by name, you don't say no. A little testimony, um, you know, you look, at, you look at what these guys have done. These fishermen have, have left their stuff behind, my testimony is a little bit similar when it comes to going into ministry. My, um, back in 2012, uh, we, I was working for TELUS, and um, Carla and I and the kids were all living in Squamish. We had been living in the same house for eight years and loved it. And in 2011, Carla had actually just finished redoing all the flooring in the upstairs uh, by herself. I, I was helpless in this, honestly. I didn't help her at all. She did the whole thing. She ripped out the carpets, the old dingy carpets that had been there since who knows when, and she rolled them up, threw them outside, and she laid down vinyl planking in the whole upstairs by herself. And it took her, it took her weeks to do this while also homeschooling four kids. So, yes, she's a hero, it's true. (laughs) But when she was done, at the end of it, she she sat there and looked at it and was just like, this is nice. And then she was like, Lord, we're selling, aren't we? Next thing you know, um, yeah, through that fall and the next winter into 2012, uh, that is what we decided to do. We decided to sell our house because the, the call into ministry, which had been growing in me over the last six, seven years before that, uh, had just become too strong, and I couldn't say no anymore. And we had weighed the different options of what to do, and we decided the best thing for us to do to get the most out of this, out of the next few years of seminary is to sell our house, to live off of the equity, and, and come out of seminary debt-free, and so that's what we did. I left my job, my, my work with TELUS. I, I left the pension. I left the, the, the comfort, the security. And we followed the Lord and went into seminary. And then after seminary was done, we moved back up here and got my, got my first ministry role. And what do you know? We were debt-free, but we also didn't have a house anymore. And... If you are in, if you've been living in BC in the Lower Mainland for the past 
uh, that, that number of years, I guess, what would it, would it have been? When, when I was done, it was 2015. So 2015 till now, you know what the, the housing market has done. So guess who still doesn't own a house? Yeah, it's true. We, we sold our house, lived off the equity, went to go to seminary to follow the Lord's call in our lives. And the world would look at us and say, that is foolish. What did you do that for? Do you know how much money you cost yourself? Yes, I do. And I've, I've looked at that a number of times, especially the days when, when ministry isn't going the way I think it should. Yes. But then I also look at all the ways that the Lord has provided for us through that. And I also look at the ways that he's come through uh, in ministry even. I, this week I was me meeting with a friend who I have worked with the last few years on, um, he was looking at how he could serve the church and he had a real passion for marriage. And so I showed him some books and I showed him a couple of courses to take. And now he, he works for a nonprofit organization, uh, or he volunteers for them and he runs a marriage mentoring program and, and he's taking courses in biblical counseling at the same time. And I was so encouraged to hear the stories he was sharing about the people that he was working with these days. I also think about times at, at Northview when I was still there and, and working and praying with people. I remember after one service, myself, one other pastor, praying with a young lady who um, came to us and said that she was, she was nervous. She had a surgery the next day, a hole in her heart that she had had since birth, but they had just discovered it and were going to go in and repair it. And she was nervous for this surgery, so we prayed for her. She called us the next day after going into the hospital and said, they did a scan today and the hole is gone. They don't need to do the surgery. That, the, these kinds of things wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to be a part of if I had just kept my house. Yes, I could have had some more financial security. Yes, I would be more financially set now, or now than I currently am if I had stayed there. But you know what? The Lord provides. And the Lord works through us when we follow him. Yes, it can be costly, but, but man, it's awesome. That's just my, a little bit of my testimony. I've actually asked another person from our congregation, um, Leanne Harrett, to share her testimony this morning. She's going to come over here. Um, Leanne has been a part of our church, actually, as a, as a, attending here for a number of years already, um, but hasn't ever finished her marriage trans, er, marriage. <laughs> She's not married, guys, so take note. <laughs> her membership... Her membership transfer. Everybody in here is laughing, yes. But Leanne, come on over and share your testimony with us. Morning. Um, <laughs> I was born and raised in a Christian home, and I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was four years old. Although this is when I first believed, it is not until I was 16 that I began to understand what this means for me and my relationship with Jesus. When I was a teenager, I began to have health issues that worsened over time. It was unexplained by doctors, and it started to interfere with my life and what I was capable of. The things I had once used to define me were taken away until I felt that I had nothing left and no purpose. This is when Jesus began to teach me what it looks like to be used for his glory, even when I don't understand and I can't make sense of his plan. I began to learn about what it means to follow Jesus, and I used the time I spent sick at home to learn more about him. And when I was 16, I recommitted my life to Jesus, and I was baptized. 
At this point, I thought that I had learned what God wanted to teach me through what I had been through and that it would be all uphill from here, but I was wrong, and the years that followed were the most difficult yet. I did not get better physically, and my mental health worsened until I fought a daily battle of anxiety and depression. I couldn't understand what God was doing in my life because I wanted to be used by him and to work hard for him, and I felt that if I couldn't serve him the way I felt like I should, I was not good enough to be accepted by him. This striving to earn God's love continued for many years until I burnt out, and God brought me to the place where I couldn't try harder anymore. This is when he taught me that it is not what I can do for him that allows me to be called his disciple, but what he has done for me. He showed me that I can never be good enough for him by trying harder and could never earn his love because I am a sinner, and it is by his grace alone and the blood of Jesus that covers my sin that he calls me his own. I learned that my confidence is not in who I am, but in who Jesus is. He hasn't called me to follow him because I am good, but because he is good. It is because what he has done for me that I could never do for myself. Now he calls me to trust in his saving grace and the work he did on the cross. A verse that has been meaningful to me is Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 8. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Um, thank you, Leanne, so much, and uh, we're so excited that you want to be a member of our church and that you're uh, willing to take this step. It's great. Can I pray for you? Lord, I thank you for Leanne, and I thank you for her willingness to uh, serve in our church. Lord, I thank you with the smile and the joy at how she serves here and, and how you've worked in her life to hear, Lord, how you've You've humbled her, how you have shown her who you are, and it, it is by your grace that we're saved, Lord, that it's not by anything that we do. Uh, we can't earn your love, we can't earn your acceptance, but it is by your grace. So, Lord, thank you for opening her eyes and her mind to that. I thank you for all you've brought her through. And, Lord, we look forward to continuing to worship you together, and I look forward to seeing what you continue to do in her life uh, here at King Road. So bless her, Lord. And uh, I thank you for her. Amen. Thanks, Leanne. So did you hear that verse she quoted from Ephesians? That it is by grace that we're saved, through faith. This is how the Lord works in us. It is, it's not by what we do. It, we don't have to worry about trying to earn his love. We don't have to worry about trying to earn his acceptance no matter who you are, no matter what position in life you hold, whether you're the CEO of a company or some great leader in some organization or you're just the minimum wage earner, whatever, uh, or even if you don't have a job, homeless, whatever. You're just an average, broken sinner in need of God's grace. Just like Peter, Andrew, James, John, me, Leanne, you're going about your life and God came along and he saw you and he knew you 
and he showered his grace on you. Not because of who you are or what you've done, but because he wanted to. And now you're his disciple. So maybe for some of you that are watching this morning, you have heard this call in your life and you've been pushing it aside. Uh, you, you've heard, you know that this is true, what we're saying. You, you know what, what the call of Jesus is on your life, but you're pushing it aside and you're pushing it aside and yet he keeps calling. Will you make today the day that you submit, the, today the day that you don't rely on yourself anymore, but that you rely on God's grace? Would today be the day that you, you put aside trying to earn his love and just accept his love and follow him? Or maybe you've been a Christian a long time and, and this call that has been bugging you on the inside and, that, and you know you want to serve him more and you just don't know, maybe you don't know how or you think he's calling you to something but you just haven't been exploring it. Start exploring. See what that is. It, maybe you think it's going to be too costly but trust me, the Lord provides. No matter what it is, the Lord will provide. Talk to people that you know. Talk to mentors. Talk to other pastors or leaders in our church or good Christian friends you have and talk to them about the thing that you think the Lord might be prompting you towards. The call to follow Jesus is costly, but it's awesome. And disciples follow Jesus. All right, on to point number two, crowds follow miracles. Continuing, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Jesus' ministry was absolutely amazing. Even by biblical standards, I think a lot of times we look at the Bible and we think that was a time of miracles like throughout the whole Bible, but that's, that's not true. When you look at the Bible, you look at the Old Testament, there's very few of the prophets that actually performed any miracles. So, and it was an extraordinary thing when it happened. So when Jesus came along, this was I mean, this was mind-blowing, the kind of miracles that he was doing and doing them at will, regularly. Incredibly extraordinary. I once had a, um, a lady, uh, a very well-intentioned older lady who's with the Lord now, um, but she said to me, uh, you know, the problem with the church now is that we don't have enough miracles. But that's the problem. If, if, if we did more miracles, more people would come and believe in Jesus. Is that true? Because I think if you look even at Jesus' ministry, you'll see that, yes, Jesus had a lot of fans. And a lot of them turned out to just be fans. 
you look at, you think about Jesus when he was entering the, Jerusalem and on the way to the cross. He enters Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna, the king of kings has come. They lay down their cloaks. They lay down branches. And he walks in and people are celebrating. And a week later, where are they? Crucify him, they're saying. People love the spectacular, but when things get tough, all of a sudden they disappear. We see this in the world around us too. We see this in sports. Uh, if you've lived in BC or the Lower Mainland or followed Canadian football for the, na for the last, I mean, for your, for your life and you're about my age or older, you might remember the time when Doug Flutie was the quarterback of the BC Lions, 1991. The BC Lions had had a couple of really bad years, and their attendance had plummeted. They had hardly anybody coming to games, like maybe 15,000 people coming to a game, which, which for football is very low. And then all of a sudden, there's this guy who comes up from the States, and he starts, I mean, he's, he's kind of short for a quarterback, five foot nine, but he can run, and he can dodge defenders, and he can throw the ball like nobody's business. Leads the league that year in passing. Leads the BC Lions to all these comebacks. Uh, I remember one game, the Lions being down by like 20 points with two minutes left, and he led us to the win. He got, th got us three touchdowns in the last two minutes. And by, by the time the end of the season came around, we were having 45,000 people out to games. Why were they coming? Because they wanted to see the spectacle that was Doug Flutie. They wanted to see the amazing games that he was playing and the amazing plays he was making. It was so exciting. A year later, they lost him to the Calgary Stampeders. And guess what happened to the attendance? Back down again. This is what happens with the spectacular around us. And this is what happened in Jesus' ministry too, especially when he started teaching the hard things. If you look at John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000, and if you know that story, he, he goes out to the uh, uh, a kind of rural area of Galilee, and a whole bunch of people, big crowds have been following him. It says 5,000 men, so we can assume that there's probably double that at least when you add women and children into the mix. And he's been teaching them all day on this hillside, and the people start getting hungry, and the disciples say, we have to send them into the towns to get some food. And, and Jesus says, no, no, we're going to feed them ourselves. And they're like, Jesus, how do you expect to do that? There's no subway here, no McDonald's. Where, where are we going to send them? Where, where are we going to get all this food? And this boy comes up with some five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus said, yeah, this will do. He blesses the food. The disciples walk around handing it out, and by the end of it, everybody eats enough to be full, plus there's 12 basketfuls of leftovers. This is an amazing miracle. He literally multiplies seven items of food to feed 10,000 people. It's crazy. And the people know it, and they're amazed by it. And then that night, he goes and walks on the water to the disciples' Uh, who are out on the lake and the, he calms the storm and the, in the morning the people are like where did he go and they run around to the other side of the lake and they want to find him and they, they catch up to him and he starts teaching them and they're so amazed by the bread they keep talking about the bread and he says to them I am the bread of life 
This is verse 6, verse 56. I am the bread of life. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And all of a sudden, the crowd goes, whoa, Jesus, things got weird here. What do you mean, feed on you? And sadly, they don't even really stick around to find out what he means. Verse 66, it says, after, many, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So they were there for the miracle. They're happy for that. They're happy to hear about what God's going to do in his kingdom. But when it comes to a hard teaching, uh, Jesus, and they walk away. And the crowds disappear. And Jesus says to his 12 disciples, you guys going to leave too? And uh, they respond, verse 68, Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Crowds follow miracles. But true disciples follow Jesus. Because they know that he is the true and living God. They know that he is the one who has come with the words of eternal life. And so they follow him. See, if we go through life looking for just for these mountaintop experiences or from exciting thing to exciting thing, or where, where's, where does it look like God is moving? If we jump from mountaintop to mountaintop, Inevitably, you will become disappointed over and over and over because life isn't just full of mountaintop experiences. It's not just full of highs. It is full of highs and lows, mountaintops and valleys, and the Lord is with you through it all. The Lord's with you through it all. Psalm 23 is very well known. It talks about Jesus being our shepherd and how he's with us and says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Sometimes when we're going through life as one of Jesus' sheep, we feel his rod and his staff more than we want to. And that's part of being sanctified. That's part of his work in our lives to transform us more and more into the image of Christ as we mature. And it's through those hard experiences, it's through those valleys that we become even more of a blessing to those around us. And that's the kind of care that the Lord promises us. He promises to be with us, to discipline us, and to lead us in paths of righteousness. Not for our glory, not for us to keep on these mountaintop experiences, but for His glory. But being a true disciple isn't just full of hard things. It's full of the awesome things as well. It's full of the good times. Those disciples were there for the miracles, and they were there for the hard times. 
true disciples get to share the gospel with others and see their lives change. The greatest miracle that the Lord performs is turning a hard heart into a soft heart, a heart that is against him into a heart that's for him. And when we share the gospel with others and we see them slowly changing and we see them coming to believe in who Jesus is, this is something that we get to share in. True disciples get to share in that. But there's a potential cost to it as well because you don't know how people are going to react when they hear that. You don't know if they're going to want to still be your friend. You don't know if they're going to be offended. They might be. But the potential reward is amazing. So as we close, what kind of disciple are you? Are you one who's willing to follow him no matter the cost? Because as we look at the world around us, we don't know where things are going to go. We don't know where things are going to go 10, 15 years from now. We... We don't know what it's going to be like. Are you willing to follow him? The way that young girl did? Are you, are you willing to, to follow him the way the disciples did? Because the disciples all went to be martyrs as well. Or are you finding yourself as part of the crowd? Let me pray. Father, your word is good and true, but challenging. Lord, we see you call your disciples, and we, we can read about what they did and, and know through history of the kind of lives they went on to lead and what it cost them. And Lord, that can be terrifying. So I pray by your spirit that for those of us who know you and love you, that you would lead us to follow you no matter the cost, that you would lead us even if the time comes where someday we face imminent death for following you, that you would keep us steadfast and true, that our testimony would hold sure. And Lord, for those of you who, or for, for those of us who haven't followed you yet or who are considering it, Lord, would you make today the day? Would you transform their hearts wherever they're watching from in the world? And would they trust you and know you? And would you continue to work on them and lead them in paths of righteousness for your name's sake? Lord, yes, we understand following you can be costly, but... We also know how awesome it is. So bless us, Lord, as we go from here. In your name, Jesus. Amen.